The first reading is taken from Psalm 69, verses 1 to 21, which can be found on page 583 of the Church Bible beside you. That's Psalm 69, verses 1 to 21. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, O Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favour, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me. All the depths swallow me up, all the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your faith from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The second reading is taken from John, and that's chapter 15, verses 18 through to 27, and is on page... 1,083, and just over the last couple of verses on page 1,084. The world hates the disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute, persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey you also, yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, and they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. When the counsellor comes, when I, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of our Lord. A prayer as we sit. Heavenly Father, thank you that you promised to give us the spirit of truth to guide us into all truth. And we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will show us your will as you do through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Last Saturday evening in the Abbot Hall, I met up with a friend who lives in Chipping Norton, Oxfordshire, who's been a lifelong Liverpool fan. No accounting for taste, but there we are. I said to him, hi, Paul. Interesting result at lunchtime today. He said, you didn't wait long. He said, through clenched teeth, you must be very pleased that Manchester United won. I said, on the contrary, I was hoping that Liverpool would win because I hate the manager's tactics and want him to have a shave and depart for Paris as soon as possible. That's a bit harsh. Well, in using the word hate there, I was expressing the dictionary definition, which is having a strong dislike of something or someone. It's not personal. I don't know Monino, but I don't like his tactics. It was hyperbole, or hyperbole, as Terry Wogan once called it, purposeful exaggeration, expressing a point of view. In the reading we heard just a few moments ago, the word hate occurred seven times, and three times in the first passage, the Psalm of David. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. In today's society, hate is used quite frequently. We hear of hate preachers, and only this week, of hate crime. And the dictionary definition of hate really doesn't go far enough because the implication behind the word hate there is far stronger than an intense dislike and implies a desire to kill. This literally rather dog-eared newspaper has the headline from Russia with hate. The implication behind that is much stronger than an intense dislike. 
Of course, we use the word hate in a rather light-hearted way when we say we have pet hates. It must be something to do with age, but I've got 366 pet hates. <laughs> but my pet hate is paying a footballer £502,000 a week. Or if you read some newspapers, a measly £400,000 a week. It's not through envy, but it's just the fact that in our fantastic health service, for example, our consultants are paid between 75000 and 103000 as their basic take-home salary a year doing a worthwhile job. And our teachers, our nurses, our lecturers are paid peanuts while our parliamentarians give themselves huge pay increases. I don't want to kill them. I just want to take the footballers away from the hairdressers, from the tattoo saloons, from the playstations and the golf courses, take them into a care home and get them to see someone doing a very useful job on a basic wage. Jesus used the word hate. And it's a hard saying because he knew that it involved the threats of death as Jesus himself would soon experience. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It says in verse 20 of that passage we read. And Jesus was making it very clear that this will be the response of the world to Christians and throughout 2,000 years of Christian history, it's been the case. And the word hate isn't just a strong dislike. Though it's very evident in today's society with the aggressive secularist agenda that's being pursued, that it is a strong dislike because they want to silence the Christian voice forever. It won't, they won't succeed, of course, because of God's promises to us that his truth withstands all the hatred that the world can throw at it. And those for whom John was first writing know what Jesus is talking about as the first Christians were experiencing huge persecution and martyrdom, not only from Jews, but from non-Jews called Gentiles. Well, why is it that people hate Jesus? Being a disciple of Jesus today means being associated with the world's enemy. The world here refers to the world of unbelief, not just Jews and Gentiles, but those who don't believe in him, be they religious or secular. Jesus had faced hostility previously, and his prophetic saying here expresses his experience of all that's gone before. The hatred, though, is down to a total lack of understanding of who Jesus is. In John's Gospel, Jesus used the expression, before Abraham was, I am. And for the Jews listening to that expression would recognize that Jesus was claiming God, God's name for himself. Because when Moses revealed himself to the people of Israel, to, uh, when God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, God said, my name is I am. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, and many other sayings like it. And they hated him because he claimed to be God. He claimed to forgive sin. He healed people, things that only God could do. And they hated him for it and took up stones to kill him. But because he had such a following, they couldn't kill him at that moment. And he taught with authority, which the Jewish leaders at the time disliked. And so Jesus said, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they don't know the one who sent me. They didn't know God for themselves. It's sometimes so hard for us to understand this. All Christians want to do is to see people come to faith in God, to acknowledge that God is the source of life and gives fullness of life and meaning and purpose and direction to our lives. The love that Jesus has for the world is so deep that he was willing to come and give his life for it. It's the same love which motivates us and drives us to share that good news of Jesus' love with the world, to share our faith and encourage commitment. It's hard for us to understand why people should reject that. Well, that's how we see it anyway, but that's not how the world of unbelief sees it. When the world of unbelief looks at us as Christians, they see people who think, they're an, or rather they think, we're anti-everything, but that simply isn't the situation. They're wrong. Christians promote ideals. They're pro-life from the moment of conception through to the end of life, promoting the ideals of, of a secure home and family life as God intended, as the basis of a strong and stable society, as well as offering care and support to those who are on the margins and those for whom the experience of life and relationships hasn't been wholly positive. So they're wrong, but they're right in thinking that we as Christians have a different status. If you belong to the world, Jesus said, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus came in his grace and his love in the middle of all the evil and sin in the world to show his love, mercy and forgiveness. He acted, he took the initiative and invites us to respond to him as his children by faith and become inheritors of the kingdom of God. But for those whose standards are not God's standards, that's very confrontational because the world wants conformity to its standards. They look at us and immediately realize that we no longer are part of the group. When the world views us as not belonging, it changes our relationship with us. Politically incorrect Christians are targeted because we seek to live by God's standards, which bring us into conflict with the world's standards. But Paul encourages us, don't be conformed to this world's standards. In that psalm that we heard, a psalm of David, 
David, who went on to be king of Israel, reflects that his life was in danger as King Saul pursued his murderous hatred and jealousy of David. Those who hate me, said David, hate me without reason, and many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. And Jesus takes these words and makes them his own. They hated me without a reason. And those who stand firm in their faith in Christ shouldn't expect to be treated any differently than the way Jesus was treated. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. So Jesus is predicting that as Christians, we'll face hostility and hatred. But being on the side of Jesus is doing what's right in God's eyes, living by his standards, and our faith in him assures us that no matter what happens, nothing can separate us from his love now and in eternity. Currently, in the United Kingdom, there's no one being asked to die for their faith in Christ. We're not in danger physically, though in many parts of the world that is the case. Some people may be persecuted and face hostility because of their stand on an issue that requires them to lose their job. Some people were affected by their stand against working on Sunday, the Lord's Day, despite the promise of the government at the time that no one would be forced to work on Sunday against their will. Some may experience sneering contempt and be denied advancement in their workplace because of their Christian faith. Some may be rejected from their families because of their commitment to Christ. And the way the world treats Christians is to hate. Unjust hate, unfair hate, hate without reason, merely the reason that we're Christians and Jesus is the world's enemy. And we're followers of him. That's how it was in the first century. What happened in the first century was that Christianity not only survived, but grew at an incredible rate. And that's how it will be in the future. So we're faced with the question today, for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, are we willing to endure the same hate and hostility that Jesus and 2,000 years of Christian history have experienced. Being associated with Jesus means declaring war, or rather declaring to the world that you and I don't belong here. We're members of God's kingdom by faith. The Jewish leaders were orthodox and outwardly morally brilliant people but they rejected Jesus and his teaching because he said that they weren't perfect. And indeed they weren't because their thoughts weren't perfect. The Bible teaches us that we can't be good on our own. We need God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul reminds us. And the world of unbelief hates that message. They hate it because they can't be good without God and so they hate the Christian story 
because it declares a lostness without God. Joseph was told, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The baptismal promises that we've heard today are a summary of what it means to be a Christian. I turn to Christ. In other words, I acknowledge that Jesus is the one who saves me. I repent of my sins, literally turning my back on everything that's wrong. I renounce evil, which with God's help we can do, though we don't always get it right as Christians. When we do get things wrong, we can come and say sorry and know that God forgives us. And our communion service is a constant reminder of that in the broken bread and and wine, the reminders of Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness comes from the word divide. And we are a dividing line in the world today, as Jesus was. And Christians ought to be standing out in the world as lights in the world, shining in the darkness, saying, this is the way that God wants, this is the way that God will bless the world by living his, by his standards. To be different is dangerous, but a Christian accepts that risk as a follower of Jesus. People have a problem with Jesus because they don't know or understand what he's done. For them, the idea that someone should die on the cross and come alive again is utter foolishness. They don't understand that it couldn't possibly be true. How do we respond to hatred and persecution? Well, I suppose the first question we must ask is this. If we were arrested as a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Jesus said, you've heard it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. That was the Old Testament standard. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you, so they will persecute you. And in the words just before our reading, Jesus said, this is my command, love one another. Love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. Christians don't seek to kill those with whom we might disagree. We seek to argue, to persuade, to encourage, to love and to care those people into God's kingdom. So, the antidote to hate is to show love. We could be tempted this morning to give up or not even begin the Christian journey as Harrison has begun today with our prayers that he will one day come to faith for himself. But if we are discouraged, I hope we aren't, I hope we can look at the motto behind us and see that Actually, working for the Lord is something that's fulfilling.
and brings blessing. As Joshua was encouraged with these words, so I hope we'll be encouraged too. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And on this particular Sunday in the churches here, when we think of Jesus' death on the cross and look ahead to Easter, remember this. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May that be an encouragement for us in the world in which we live. Amen.